continuing with a series sermon it's called Reading the Red. For those of you who are here for the first time, we are going through the Gospel of Luke, and we are preaching just exactly as it, as it is read. We're to, to, to uh, uh, verse 16, I mean chapter 16, the words of Jesus, because we want to hear the words of our Lord. Now, there are a couple of things that would interfere with today's sermon. First of all, I don't like preaching about money. You haven't heard me talk about very money, money very much because I just don't like it. I uh, don't like to preach about it. I like it. Um, and usually, if there's some financial problem, it's not usually a financial problem. The second thing uh, that makes it difficult is that preachers are kind of weird ducks. They, they want to take everything and spiritualize it. And, uh, and the less practical we get, sometimes the more comfortable we are. Luckily, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was very practical. So if this is your first time here, I hope that uh, uh, you won't think that we preach about this all the time, but I hope also you will listen very, very intently to what the Lord has to say to you because this is a very, very important message for you to hear. Let me take the first nine verses of this because this is a much disputed parable. It seems in this parable as if the Lord is commending someone who has done wrongly. And that kind of throws our whole ethics systems into a, you know, it, it hurts us. I have studied this passage for hours, have read probably ten commentators on this passage, and I, and I think I have a way to explain it that will help us out. First of all, I want you to know from verse, or I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 1, and chapter 16, verse 14, to whom he is speaking, I'm sorry, he's speaking to the disciples. It says that in 16.1. But he's speaking in the hearing of, first of all, the tax gatherers and sinners, those who had money, Tax gatherers could gouge, you, you bid for a tax gatherer's job in order to gouge extra profits from those who were paying taxes. So these are people who have money, and some people who have gotten them, gotten the money from, uh, from not being fair. And then in 16.4 it says, the Pharisees are listeners, and they are lovers of money. So there's two categories of people here standing around listening. One is those who have it, and the other is those who think about it all the time. Now, if you fit into the, either one of those categories, this is for you. Or if you fit in the disciple category, of course, this is for you. The parable goes like this. There was a rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now, reported means there is distance. There is a middleman. The person, the, the rich man is not right there. And later it says he called to him, which implies a distance. Therefore, he was not keeping track. A steward was someone who has ex- had executive power over the estate. He could do with it whatever he wanted to. And so the person could go off and travel and so on and so forth and wouldn't have to worry about his business. Reported squander him in uh, squandering, I'm sorry, in, in uh, Greek, that's present participle, which means an ongoing process. He'd been doing it for a while, which is also implied in the second verse When he calls and he says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Now, what has happened here is he has discovered 
that for some time this, is be, this has been going on. This isn't his first report. And he gets fired on the spot. However, you have to have a manager for your property. And so he remains the steward until the new steward can get there. Having full executive powers still until the new steward comes. And he knows he has to make some arrangements for this. Now, the steward said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking? Again, there's the process. He's in the process of taking the stewardship away from me. I am, and notice how realistic he is about his strengths and weaknesses. He says, too weak to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. You know, those two are out. Those are the first two things that come to his mind. And then he thinks about it. And then it comes to him. The, the verb, I, I know, is in the aorist tense, which is a one-shot deal. It comes all of a sudden. I know what I'll do. See, it just hits him. That when I'm removed from the stewardship, future tense, they will receive me into their homes. Now, who are they? And he summoned each one of the master's debtors. Here they are. And he began to say to the first, well, how much do you owe my master? And he said, well, a hundred measures of oil. A uh, hundred measures would be approximately a uh, hundred gal- um, jars with eight gallons of pe- basically 800 gallons of oil, olive oil, that is. Um... And he said, well, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. That's alter your bill to where you only owe half of that. And then I'll sign it, see? And the next he said, how, do you, how much do you owe? And he said, well, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, well, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kinds than the sons of light. Now, let me give you just what happened here. First of all, righteousness has to do with relationships. In its most common term, the righteousness in the Bible could be defined as meeting the demands of a relationship. Righteousness in the Bible never has to do with a cold ethical standard. It always involves another person. The unrighteous steward was not unrighteous because he broke the law. He was unrighteous because he was cheating his master and he was squandering his master's good. He was using them, in other words, for only himself. He was not using them in relation to his master. That's why he was unrighteous. So therefore, righteousness has to do with giving to another person. What is due that other person? It doesn't have to do always with ethical or what we call right and wrong behavior. Always has to do with love. Always has to do with consideration. Always has to do with sensitivity. So he was unrighteous towards God. And then the Bible calls him shrewd. Now this word for shrewd is is a practical word, not a wise word, not a deep word, but a practical word. Now watch this. Have you ever been to a counselor or known any counselors that when you go and you say, I have this immediate problem. I mean immediate. For example, you go in and you say, Man, I can't take anymore. I've got a problem with pornography. And I have to stop this behavior. It's consuming me. It's all I can think about. 
And the counselor says, well, tell me about when you were three. Tell me, just, just let's get to the root of this thing. Now, that is wise behavior, Sophia. That is deep behavior. That is going all the way down, not trying to just put a fast answer on it, but going all the way down. However, that's, what's not, that's not what's needed <clears throat> in that particular situation. You have to have some sort of preventative, practical stoppage. And you need a counselor who will say, look at you in the face and say, don't do that anymore. I'm going with you to your house and throw out every bit of that right now. Let's go down and get in the car. And then I'm going to give you a brother, put you in contact with a brother, where every time you're tempted to go into a dirty bookstore, I want you to make a contract with me that you're going to call him up and say, talk me out of this or come and get me so I don't do it. See? Alcoholics Anonymous is very good at this. If you're going to have to take a drink, call me up. See? There is a level of accountability. Now that's shrewd. That's what the Bible puts as shrewd. That is practical, immediate behavior to get you out of the mess you're in. Well, this steward didn't go down to his roots and say, what makes me want to squander money? Well, what's going to happen to me, you know, whatever, what, what were the self-sabotaging behaviors all of my life that led me to this point? He didn't do that. He said, man, i got to get out of this. i got to have something that works now. So this is what he came up with. Listen to this. This is smart. This is really smart. In that day, <clears throat> when a loan was made, it was very much like the loans in our day. When you go, if you borrow money to buy a car, don't do it unless you have to. But if you do that, they will give you a payment book. And figured into that payment book, I mean, you can leaf through it all the way to the end, and it has a little amount every month, and leaf that back at the end, it will tell you the, the total amount you're going to pay. What's included in that total amount? Not just the principal, but the interest is included in that total amount. And part of that interest is the commission of the salesperson who sold you that car. And part of it is the, for the managers, and part of it's for the overhead, and part of it's, you know, all of this, all of this kind of stuff for the bank, you know, that is, that has loaned you that money. That's how they get their money, right? So figured into the total amount is the commission of the managers. It's exactly what, what was figured in to the hundred barrels of oil. It was the steward's commission. It was a hundred percent commission. You say, boy, that's high. Well, you bought jewelry lately? That's a 300% markup, you know? So, no, we're not talking high. We're just talking. If they paid it out, this guy would make 100%. I mean, nobody said he was an angel. He was a crook, but he was making that kind of money. Goes to the next guy. How, many, how, how much wheat? You know, so on and so forth. You see what I'm saying? What he did was he said, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to get my commission anyhow. I'm going to make friends all around. First of all, I will donate my commission <laughs> that I'm not going to get anyhow. And I am going to give it to the people who borrowed so that all that they have to do is pay principal. Secondly, I'll make my master look good because he wasn't going to get that money anyhow. He'll still get all of his money. And he will not be charged. See, in the Jewish law, it wasn't righteous 
to charge any interest at all. And so this will even make him look good spiritually. And what I have done is I have converted my monetary gain into a relationship that will last forever. Have you ever had somebody rescue you in such a way that you said, I will be eternally indebted to you? That's exactly what happened. You talk about smart. He wasn't going to get the money anyhow. And all of a sudden, he's got a relationship that owes him that someone's eternally indebted to him. And he's converted money into love and acceptance. That's smart. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. How many of us, when we sit down and figure our profit and loss statement every time we do our checkbooks, and we worry about this and we worry about that, it just looks like that's the main thing of life. This is saying that isn't the main thing of life. Let me ask you a question. You ever gone to a funeral? And had the pastor get up and say, friends, we are here today to celebrate the life of, you know, Jim Thompson. Did you guys ever see the car this guy drove? Man, I mean, it was an XKE 2R7 Porsche, you know, I don't know, I'm not good with cars, but it was a great car. I mean, obviously this guy led a wonderful life. And so, friends, in evaluating his life, Did you ever see the house this guy lived in? I mean, six bathrooms in this house. I mean, this was a huge thing. This guy led a great life. And so, let us conclude the service, and and all of you file forward to pay your last respects. And and when you come forward, take a look at this guy's suit. I mean, it's Italian. It fits nice. I mean, look look at the label. You ever heard, how tacky can you get? Do they ever... Mention finances in a, in a funeral? Absolutely not. What do they do? They mention relationships, don't they? This guy loved. This guy helped. This guy was an example. This guy was a devoted father. This guy was a loving husband. This guy was a leader of men. All relationships. That's what's important. Bottom line, that's what's important. And that's what this is about. We worry so much about our profit and loss statements. For what? When it gets right down to the end, if you have been able to convert your money into relationships, you have done the wonderful thing. That's what's important. I asked Becky for permission to do this. So I don't want you to think I'm telling the story on her without her noticing it. Let me tell you a conversation that goes on at our house every every month when we pay bills. Beck, we're broke, aren't we? Yeah, we're broke. That means we can't spend money, doesn't it? Yeah, it means we can't spend money. Till we get this paid off and this paid off, and then maybe we'll be able to spend money. Yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly what it means. So that means we cannot go out and buy anything, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what it means. We can't go out and buy anything. Okay, so just so that we understand that we have no money to spend for a couple of months in order to go out and buy anything, we will not buy anything, will we? Absolutely not. The next day. 
I come home, this is three months ago, and all the kids have new clothes. She goes, she goes, Hunter. She calls me Hunter. She says, Hunter, let me show you what I bought the kids. It is so neat. They've got such neat little outfits. Boys, go try your clothes on and show your dad. Now, am I going to rain on that parade or what? And I'm going, come here. I said, we haven't got any money for this. She's going, these are our boys. <laughs> this little guy here didn't have but one pair of shorts to his name. This little guy here just was a ragamuffin. And so I go, well, okay, okay, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. It's, it's okay. Next month. Beck, we don't have any money, do we? No, sir. No money. We haven't got any. Uh-uh. So that means we can't spend any, doesn't it? Yes, sir, we can't spend any money no matter what. And that means neither you nor I will ever go out and spend money again until we're out of debt. Doesn't that mean it? Yes, sir, that's exactly what that means. The next day, I come home. She goes, Hunter, I got you four new shirts on sale. It was great. I said, we don't have the money. She goes, well, I, I can take them back if you want me to. But she said, you look like a bum. You got balls on the collar of your shirt. You got grease from the Jeep all over the place. You look like a jerk. People aren't going to think the Lord doesn't provide for you, Hunter. And here's the point. Here's the point. And you can't, you can't do this too much. But the point is, when Becky loves, she loves beyond a budget. Because the people to her are more important than the standards. You understand? Now somehow, if the rest of the things can be managed and so on and so forth, that will work out wonderfully well. Because there will be no doubt. Now, it takes an act of Congress to get her to buy a new dress. I mean, i got to go get a court order for her to go shopping because she just won't do it for herself. Was your mother like that? I haven't had a new dress in 10 years. And you knew she hadn't, you know. I mean, she wouldn't tell you that, but, but it was true. But it was always somebody else. But here's the point. Becky, and she hates this when I do this. She really hates this. So I won't preach about you for another couple of months, Becky. <laughs> Becky loves with all of her heart and all of her pocketbook. See? And you know what? I hope you don't go into relationships hoping to save money. I hope you didn't get married and think two can live as cheaply as one. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I hope you didn't have kids and say, oh, babies, they don't take much. I hope you didn't do that. Or if you're going to have three, you might as well have four. If you're going to have two, you might as well have three. Please tell me you didn't, you didn't do that. The point is, Relationships cost. But the point even further is relationships are worth it because you've put your priorities in the right place. When you can turn money into relationships, you have someone who will always be with you and love you because you have given them, not things, but priority in your life. And they will always be there. 
Second point is this. That there is, when we manage God's money that, we are, that we're stewards of, when we manage his money correctly, there is a spiritual dominion that comes with that. Now, I don't know how far you guys are in theology or how, how often you listen to the TV or, or other preachers or whatever. There's, a, there's a cult, what's called a dominion theology going around these days that have misread what dominion is. Dominion theology, coming from Genesis one twenty eight, some people believe that if you just call, that we are supposed to take over the earth. Christians are supposed to take over the earth and have dominance over the earth. And so it's our job in politics to take over politics. And it's our job in, you know, in business to take over business and so on and so forth because that's the way God intended it. That's called dominion theology. Well, as usual, they got it half right. There is a spiritual power that is released when we are doing with our money what God would have us do. When we are generous, when we are giving, when we are of a giving spirit... There is a spiritual dominion. There's a spiritual power that is released. It's not produced, it's released. Let me give you some very practical examples. When I came to this church, we never talked about my salary. In all of the conversation, I never asked how much I would be paid. They never said how much I would be paid. It just didn't come up. Our main focus was, am I supposed to be here as the pastor? And when we prayed that through, and we felt confirmation on that, and we had agreed that, yes, I was supposed to be here, they said, oh, by the way, would you like to know how much you're going to be making? And I said, oh, by the way, yeah, just kind of curious. This congregation at that time was a, was, a, was a body of about, realistically, 150, 175 people. Now, I had been the pastor of a large church back in Indiana. They did not want me to take a salary cut to come down here. 170 people, let's say, the salary for the pastor was $60,000. Now, let me tell you what that told me about these people. First of all, it told me that they were very generous. And a heart that is open to give is a heart that is open to receive. When I have pastors come and counsel with me whether or not they should take a certain church, and the, and the salary has been mentioned up front, what I do is I calculate how much that congregation can afford that salary. If that congregation can afford that salary easily, I'm saying that even if he goes, no matter what the salary is, the heart's going to be closed because when the pocketbook's closed, the heart's closed. If you are not giving, you are not receiving. You cannot do one without the other. It just is impossible. So what it first said to me was that this was a congregation with leadership that had a heart that would be open to receiving because the heart was open to giving. And I like that because the word of God as it came through me would find a cultivated field. 
The second thing it said to me, though, was this. These people, and they didn't know, this is something we didn't know, whether the church was going to go or not at that time, frankly. I looked at it, I didn't know it was going to go or not. You know, it was very unstable. And they didn't know if it would be here next week, and neither did I. But I had a sense that that kind of generosity would have an effect of spiritual power and dominion as well as receptivity. Because what happens when you are giving to ministry and you are investing your... And we don't don't have a wealthy congregation. Look around. Are you wealthy? (laughs) I mean, we don't have one. Well, what happens when you are investing in ministry is that there are other areas of dominion that, that, that open up. And other areas of ministry that begin to flow. Not just one point, not just financially. Obviously, we've been blessed financially. But spiritually, God has done things in this body. The healing that has taken place, the serving that has taken place, has been absolutely wonderful. Why? Because we have a leadership and we have a people that give. And I don't mean just give little bits. Those that have been taught to give, those that have their hearts filled with the Spirit, give what costs them. Let me show you a verse. If you will, if you will turn to 2 Samuel 24. As a matter of fact, turn to 1 Kings and then look on the other page. When David was going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, David is the king. He has the financial wherewithal. He went to a place owned by a man named Arana. And in 2 Samuel 24, verse 23, Arana volunteers to give David everything he needs everything he needs to make that sacrifice. Everything, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. However, look at verse 24. Here's the important part. The king said to Arana, No, but I surely will buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God which cost me nothing. If we have the kind of giving that cost us nothing, and that's why we're always broke, because we have the kind of giving that cost us something. If we have the kind of giving that cost us nothing, then the spiritual dominion is diminished. As a matter of fact, it's not there. Look at verse 25, see what happens. Last part of it. Thus the Lord, because it cost him something. Thus the Lord was moved by entreaty for the land, and the plague was held back from Israel. Let me tell you another thing about Northland. Just finances, practical finances. Somebody asked me, David asked me at the Progressive Supper last night, does the financial picture in the bulletin give us a true reading of the financial picture of Northland? I said, of course not. I mean, you can't put that in the bulletin. But it was a good question 
And let me tell you my response to him. One of the things that is not shown in the bulletin every week is that we're a million dollars in debt as a congregation. We have an aspiration from God to pay that off in a, in a matter of a few years, in a very short time. That is our goal. That's our dream. But let me tell you what happened to the elders when they decided to renovate this from what it was, you wouldn't have believed it, to what it is now. It's not fancy, but what it is now. What happened to them was they said, yes, we believe God is telling us to borrow that money, but with this stipulation... Remember, we're only about 170 people at the time. We will not borrow any more money than we, as we are right now, can pay back. Because we never want to look at someone who is walking through that door as a contributor. We never want to count on anyone's gift. We never want to have the temptation of saying, we've got to get more people because we've got to have some underwriting for this budget. Never. Now, how's that for wisdom? And how's that for love? One of the reasons that God is blessing this place financially is not because of its growth, but because of the maturity of a group of elders that said, we will not put anything but people first. That's wisdom. And then I said to him, and there's another part that's not shown in the bulletin. Obviously, it looks like we... Well, there's two more parts. We, it looks like we have $23,000 there stashed somewhere. We live from week to week, gang. It's give us this day our daily bread for this church. Because every time we get it, we spend it on a body. And, and usually at the end of the quarter, there will be a list of what we spent that money on. The, as the extra money came in, there are some things still to do around the building. We're going to... Get a parking lot back here. Obviously, we need one. We're how far ahead right now? $3,100? Guess how much this is going to cost back here? $3,100. We're broke again. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you um, that we have taken that money and given it either to the short-term completion of the building. There's about half a dozen things that as we get some extra money, we're still going to do. And then we'll take a look. At, at paying down the mortgage. But what it doesn't tell you is that we are giving to people out of that excess every week. What is not in your bulletin is the money that, you know those giving slips where it says sharing and where it says missions? That's not in your bulletin. Every week, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, sometimes thousands of dollars, are given that is not recorded in your bulletin to families in this congregation who have been abandoned by the breadwinner. The kids don't have food and they can't pay their bill and sometimes they're behind in their rent and they're between a rock and a hard place and you support them. And I'm going to tell you in a minute what happens to you when you support them. What happens, what, what is not recorded in the bulletin is the hundreds of dollars every week you give to missionaries. That's not recorded in the bulletin. We give a lot more than it says we are giving in the bulletin. And we are giving it to the right place. And because we are, this church has the spiritual dominion that it has. Now, please hear me right. I'm not saying, boy, Northland is better than other churches. 
Northland isn't better than other churches. I'm just illustrating that as you keep your priorities right, God will release spiritual power. And you will have spiritual power both in the body and in the individual as your priorities are right. That is the dynamic of what Jesus is talking to. As you are faithful in what you have control over, you will be blessed with your own. You will be set over much. And the third thing that I want to tell you is this. And I'm going to run over this morning, and I don't care. And I hope you don't either. It is very, very, very important that you understand that what we're saying about heaven and what we're saying about hell is not theory, it's reality. Very important. Two weeks from now, I'm going to talk about heaven and hell, and it will be very realistic, right out of the mouth of Christ. When Jesus talks about this, he presumes heavenly rewards, very practically, very realistically. And what he's saying to us is you can be as spiritual as you want, but you need to be aware that how you spend your money in this world will determine what is eternally yours both people and memorial rewards. What will never be taken from you. Now, I know there's a big emphasis right now on all all us yuppies here to start saving for our retirement. And some of us have been very, very um, stupid about that. Uh, We've come through a big expense time for our family, and we just haven't got anything, and so... The, head of the, the cover of U.S. News and World Report this week is saving for retirement and how to do it and giving you a schedule and so on and so forth. And if you save this much per week this age, you'll come out with this. And I think we need to do that. I think we need to take a look at that. But let me ask you this. How often do you think about saving for after your retirement? Because there's one more step that you have to consider that's going to last Forever. How often do you think about putting your money in a place where it will always stare you in the face? Not the money, but the people that you've benefited. Because the Bible is very plain about that kind of a savings account. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. First of all, if you will turn to me, turn with me to Acts 10. Well, wait a minute. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's turn to the problem. Uh, hey, guy. Hey, guy. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is our problem. Whenever we talk about worldly wealth. Unless we are rich beyond our wildest dreams. Let me correct that. Even when we are rich beyond our wildest dreams. Verse 5. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 6. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You know what? 
I, I saw a program about fat farms, about people who go and spend these exorbitant... I mean, they are wealthy people, and they have eaten their way. Some of them have glandular problems, but some of them just like to eat. We were talking last night at the Progressive Dinner about how we just like to eat. Okay? But it strikes me that the largest people in the world who have plenty of money for food are still hungry and hungrier than most. Doesn't that strike you as odd? Let's read on. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. Or the, the, probably the Hebrew would mean drunk enough. <laughs> you put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And here's the problem. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. That's the problem. Anytime we talk about the fiscal responsibility of this world, about the financial responsibilities of this world, we need to remember in our mind it's a purse with holes. It will never satisfy us. There will never be enough. It's a purse with holes. Now, let me tell you the opposite, if you will turn to Acts 10. And then Matthew 10 after this, and then we'll quit. Cornelius was a centurion. And the Bible says in verse 2 that he was a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household. In other words, he had raised his kids to love God and fear God. And gave many alms, that is, gifts, to the Jewish people. Alms are gifts to poor people. And he prayed to God continually. Now, I want you to notice the three things that he is saving up for himself in heaven. One is that he is loving his family like crazy. And he is paying attention to them, and he is raising a godly family. Two, he is giving to people who cannot repay him. He will never get it back. To a secular mind, it looks like it's tossing down a rat hole. That's exactly the kind of giving that stores you up a reward in heaven. If you get your reward on earth, the Bible is clear. You've got your reward. Period. That's it. But if you don't get rewarded on earth, the Bible is also clear, you've got it in heaven. So he gave it to poor people, the people who could not repay him. And third, he did it all in right relation to God. He was righteous toward God. That prayer life really tips you off to his motivation for doing both of those. Now look at what it says in verse 4. God came to him, he cried out Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him, whoo-hoo, you imagine God fixing his gaze on you? Whoa. And being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And by the way, his kids will be there too. What is a memorial? Something you can never lose, isn't it? No matter how hard you try, you can never lose it. It will always be there. Turn to chapter 10 of Matthew. 
Let me show you something else exciting. Verse 41 and 42. Listen to this. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Do you know what that means? That means that as you host or as you give or as you share with a prophet with a man of God or with a ministry of God, whatever fruit that ministry bears is yours as well as it is that prophet's. That goes to your account as well as it does to the account of that prophet. Look at the next phrase. It says, And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. By linking yourself with ministries all over the world, whatever happens in those ministries, you have that everlasting reward. If someone is saved on account of your giving, that person will recognize you in heaven and welcome you in heaven. If someone is healed because you've, been, because you've been sharing with a ministry, that person will welcome you in heaven. Jesus said, being welcomed to eternal dwellings by those people who we've been righteous to. And then the last part, verse 42 says, Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. God has given us a way to participate in the lives of people and love people and a way to get out of the hold that our money has on us to get out of that prison. Plow deep fallows into our hearts that the word that will be planted may prosper and that you may benefit and be fruitful through it. We pray in Jesus' name.